we are continuing. Um, our six-week series that we began last week called Divine Question. It's, we see throughout Scripture, behold, our God asks human beings questions. And God never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to them. And these are inspe- introspective questions, and, and uh, it, it forces us to kind of think, because we, we wrestle with the same things. And, and when we go through these questions and the context surrounding these questions, it's going to reveal more about us and reveal more about God himself. Have you ever hit a point in your life where everything is confusing? Everything is confusing. I mean, you, I mean, I don't know who came up with this. Um, you're, at, you're at this point in your life where you don't know what way to turn, you know, and everything in life makes no sense, makes no sense. And then when you add emotion to a time of questioning and uh, confusion, um, emotions can lead us way off course, way, way, way off course. And then we make impulsive, emotional, poor decisions, poor decisions. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. One of my, it's one of my favorite uh, stories in the Old Testament. We're going to take a closer look at one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah himself. And in his time of crisis, when he is overwhelmed with life and the pressures of what God has called him to do, he goes to God and God asks him a very weird, confusing question that makes no sense on the surface, on the surface. Begin chapter 19, verse 1. It says, now Ahab, King Ahab, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Stop right there. We are jumping into the middle of the movie, and some of you have no context of what's going on. There's a lot of what was said in verse 1. So I'm going to let me kind of catch us all up to speed with kind of an ex- explanation of the cast of characters. First of all, King Ahab. King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was absolutely wicked. He was wicked, perverse, uh, did evil in the sight of, sight of God. He married a lady called Jezebel. Um, the only people that name their animals Jezebel is as pit bulls or Doberman pinchers. I mean, she has a reputation till this day. She was just, um, she was a piece of work. And he married her, and the spiritual decay that took place in his nation was none like had ever happened before. In fact, in, in 1 Kings 25, it says this, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. That's how bad he was. Now let's take a little closer look at Jezebel. And by the way, I got these pictures off their own Wikipedia account. Um, <clears throat> Jezebel, she came from uh, the area of Sidon, north kind of modern-day uh, Lebanon, and she came down. Her dad was a king up there, and there's this kind of political merger. She comes down to Israel, and she brought Baal worship 
that she was all into brought it down, and she was a wicked, cruel, mean person. She rounded up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of God's prophets, prophets of the Lord, and, and killed them. And she personally oversaw and fed and housed 800 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashura. She was flat out wicked. And Baal worship became prevalent in the nation of Israel. Now let's talk about Baal, this Canaanite storm god. All right, he was the, the, the god of the rain and fertility. And Baal would disappear during the dry seasons. And, you know, they're, they're this, this whole god country uh, thing called Baal worship, they believe that Baal went down to the underworld, like demons, Satan, or whatever. He went to the underworld during the dry season. And there was a partnership between Baal and Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the god of sexuality. And uh, they had Baal temples and Ashura poles, Ashura mounds, where they would they would believe they would believe that if if you would go to the temple of Baal and had intercourse with a prophet, you know, pretty much a prostitute of Ashura, and if enough people did that, this perverse, perverse, vile way of thinking, they would give themselves physically and sexually to this Ashura goddess, and that the goddess of sexuality then would go, if enough people did that, go to the underworld and get Baal to come back up and bring rain to water their crops so they can eat. This was what was happening everywhere due to Ahab and Jezebel. Then there's a prophet, Elijah. Elijah came from a no-nothing little town, can't even find it on the map, Tishbe, and here's the pattern of Elijah. It says, God said, go here. And it says, and so he went. Go here and say this to the king. And so he said that. And then go here. And so he went. Go here. And so he went. He was a follower of God, a messenger of God. And he had courage. He had faith to do whatever God said to do, to stay or to go wherever God said to stay or to go. And in chapter 17, chapter 17, God said to Elijah, go confront King Ahab. So Elijah goes to Ahab and says, God is not pleased with you. In fact, from this point on until I come again, there will be no rain. See, don't, don't mess with, you know, the creator God. So this Baal, God of, you know, rain and, and, and futility. God says, it's not going to rain. And no matter what you people do, Baal ain't coming back to bring rain because God says, you're under my judgment. So Elijah leaves. God said, go to the Kareth Ravine. And so he went. And he said, now go see this widow, live, live with her, or, and her and her son. And so he went. And during those three and a half years, Ahab and Elijah sent troops everywhere uh, to find Elijah because there had been no rain. There had been no dew. Their crops are failing. They're struggling. The creeks are drying up. So Elijah was a marked man. And then God said to Ahab, go confront Ahab again. And so he went. So he goes to Ahab, and Ahab sees him coming. He says, oh, 
you are the problem. Elijah goes, no, you are the problem because of your wickedness. He says, gather all the prophets of Baal that you can. Meet me up at Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel was one of those, those mountaintop experiences. It was this, it was this amazing, amazing uh, battle between who is God. And, and, and Elijah said to the people, thousands of people went up there. And he says, if God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But we're going to determine today who is real. Who's the real God? He says, we're both going to build these these altars, and you're going to pray to Baal, I'll pray to God, and whatever God, whatever, whoever God brings fire from heaven and consumes these altars will prove who is the real God. And Elijah says, why don't you guys go first? So all these prophets of, of Baal and prophets of Asherah, they, they start dancing around this altar, and in the morning, nothing happened. Hours passed, it hits lunchtime, nothing's happening. They're getting exhausted, so they take out their knives, they start cutting themselves, thinking that'll get Baal's attention. And, and it, afternoon came, afternoon went, early evening comes. It is a bloody mess, and they're exhausted. And Elijah says, my turn. Got the altar, altar ready, got on his knees and said, God, this is, this is Bandera translation, please show up. I am calling out to you, send fire. And out from the heavens, a bolt of fire comes down, just destroys this altar. And thousands of Israelites said, oh, the Lord is God. The Lord is God, like, duh, oh, wow. And Elijah said, round up all the false prophets of Baal that have committed so much wickedness in the eyes of God, and he put them all to death. Then he says, there's a small cloud coming, about the size of a man's fist, and that means rain's on its way. He says, Elijah, I mean, I'm King Ahab, you better get going down to Jezreel because rain's coming. And Elijah took off to run down the mountain, and sure enough, God brought a rainstorm that caused so much mud and and water everywhere. That sets up chapter 19. So let's jump back in again, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. By tomorrow this time, you're going to be dead. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom uh, bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that fruit, food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights, approximately 200 miles, until he reached Horeb, or Mount 
Sinai, referred to as the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Here comes one of God's great questions. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a powerful, great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood on the mouth of the cave, at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death by the sword. And I am the only one left. And now now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Um, and, and anoint uh, Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, uh, Meloah, to succeed you as prophets. Jehud would put to death those who escape, uh, any who escape by the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape from the sword of uh, Jehud. Don't miss this. God says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not the only one. You're not alone. See, there is a passage. I mean, it's like, okay, wait a second. You're in trouble. You're scared. You're in a crisis of life. He thought, I need to go to God. Went to the mountain of God. And God goes, what are you doing here? Interesting question. If you take a notes, here's a central point. God tenderly loves us even when we go off course. God tenderly loves us even when we go off course. You see, Elijah's eyes were not on the Lord. They were on his circumstances. Just like Peter, when he's out there walking on the water by faith and he was keeping his eyes on Jesus, but it says then, Peter turned and looked and he saw the effects of the winds and the waves and he began to sink. Elijah, as as a great servant of God, was struggling. Here's Here's some things from this text that gives us clues how he got off course. Same things that could cause you and I to get off course with our relationship with God. First of all, he was afraid. He says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, verse 3. He went from a man of faith to a man of fear in a moment. 
some of the most crippling things in our lives is fear. Now, last week we talked in the first part of the series about fear, hiding from God when we've sinned. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about not a sin issue, just something happened, something scares you, and you get off course with God. Now, the condition of Elijah, he was emotionally despondent. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. It'd be better if I just died. I'm done. So when we do not think clearly, when we are often acting emotionally, we can become emotionally despondent and go way off course. We all have feelings, and they feel real. But if you never heard me say this, I'll say it again. Fear, I mean, sorry, emotions have an IQ of zero. They are as fickle as anything else in life. They can take us way off course. He was also discouraged. He's also discouraged. We get a hit in this in verse 5 when he says to God, I am no better than my ancestors. I'm sure he was thinking, I'm going to be a different prophet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, you know, more faithful. I'm going to be used of God in more ways, and I'm not going to be like those who have, I followed. I'm going to be better. And he had an expectation that he was going to be different. This is a true truism about life. Whenever we have expectations up here and reality comes only to here, all of this gap in between is discouragement and frustration. Life is made up of expectations. But he was also physically depleted. Physically depleted. I mean, he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, 25 miles downhill. Yeah, it's almost a marathon. He ran, beat Ahab to the palace. He traveled there, from there to Beersheba, 90 miles. Goes off by himself, goes to the mountain of God, 200 miles. Through a difficult, barren, and rugged land. He was, he was physically spent. And he was also lonely. Lonely. I'm the only one left. Loneliness is just a bitter pill. So difficult. It feels like we're all alone. So what do we learn about ourselves in the context of this question? What are you doing here, Elijah? What do we learn about ourselves? First of all is that you and I, we are fragile human beings. Fragile human beings. Emotionally, we can, we can be up top in one comment. Now we're emotionally down. We're, we're just so fragile. Physically, oh yeah, we can go, 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 crash. That's why the Bible says there's the principle of rest, Sabbath. God didn't design our earthly bodies to just go, 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 go. So we will go, especially when I was younger, go, 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 go. Then my body goes, time out. And you hit the wall. Why? Because we're fragile. We're frail. Then the second thing we learn about ourselves is this, so true. We cannot serve God on emotions only. We can't serve God on emotions only. Is, is it awesome when you go to retreats, you go to camps, you have those mountaintop experiences, you have prayers that are answered, you see wins and victories with God, and you're like, woo, yes. Those are gravy. Enjoy it. 
But that's not reality. Following after God is doing a lot of little mundane things in a row. And when the mountaintops come, bask in it, enjoy it. But life is not lived on the mountaintops. Life is, is always lived in the valleys. Mountaintops are cool. You can go snowing up there and skiing. But life is lived in the valleys. I had a lady uh, in her 20s a number of years ago at our church, and she accepted Christ. God just completely changed her life, and she could not get enough of God and worship and Bible studies. She was signed up for every Bible study. She was at every service. She was sometimes went to multiple services on the same Sunday. I mean, she just could not get enough of God and how God changed her life, and he did. And about six months later, she comes to me right in that corner over there. She goes, she goes, Pastor, I don't think my salvation worked. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I just don't feel God anymore. She goes, maybe it didn't really take. So I just encourage her as a young believer, just keep trusting in faith. Keep walking, keep growing, because it's always not going to be up here. You'll have those experiences, but that's not reality. I wrote this last, late last night. Roots grow deep when they are desperate for water. And God perfectly positions us when he goes silent or when it's difficult to see how, how desperate we will be for him. And in my own life, I've said this, and I lived it and experienced it. If I really want to follow after God, God will on occasion purposely position me to be absolutely desperate for him. So you got to power through that because we cannot follow God just on emotions. Another thing that we learn about us is this, is that we get into trouble when we make impulsive emotional decisions. It's a similar uh, principle. Don't go shopping for groceries when you're hungry. You'll spend way more than you should. Why? Because you have this hunger and you're trying to fulfill it. And it's the same thing. Don't make major decisions when you're tired, exhausted, or emotionally down. Don't do that. Uh, years ago, when I was a youth pastor here, we were in the gym. And that morning I woke up with a fever and I was, my, I was feeling horrible. It was so late. I couldn't just tell one of my volunteers on our youth staff to take my place. So I came and I came to church and taught and my head's just pounding and I'm getting the hot and cold flashes. And I'm just like, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm just going to power through. And as soon as youth group was done, I had two parents that came from upstairs down to the gym and they were both mad, both hot and they were kind of making a scene in the gym. And I just said, hey, let's go to my office. And my office was right off the gym. Go, went to my office, found out pretty quickly within 30 seconds that this parent was mad at this parent. And this parent was mad at this parent. And they were just like, rah, 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 rah. and I interrupted them and said, stop it. I am not meeting with you. And they just looked at me like, is the pastor supposed to say that? And I said, I'm not meeting with you. You're angry. I'm sick. I will see you next week right here at this time. And I just walked out of the room, got in my truck, and I went home. Nothing good was going to happen in that meeting. We get into trouble when we make impulsive, emotional decisions. 
The last thing we can learn about ourselves is this, is that we want to quit when we are tired, discouraged, and struggling. That's it. Done, God. We want to quit our marriages. We want to quit our job. Not going back. We quit our church. We want to quit when we're tired, discouraged, and struggling. It's been said many times that most pastors write their letter of resignation on Sunday nights. I've been there in the past. I have been there in the past. Elijah wanted to quit when the nation of Israel was on the verge of revival. They just had a display that God is God. The Lord is God. Then his life is threatened. He leaves in fear and wants to quit. Let's spin this and turn this. What do we learn about God? Uh, this is my favorite part of this message. What do we learn about God in this context of this question? It's this, is that God loves you and I enough to not grant our every wish. To not grant our every wish. What was Elijah's wish? Just kill me. When my oldest daughter, Asha, was eight years old, she was tired, she was worn out, she was emotional. She was very dramatic. That's how God made her. And one, one night she said, I just want to run away. I'm just going to run away. And my wife, Candy, goes, Ashley, where are you going to go? Where are you going to live? I don't know. I'm just going to run away. Dad shows up and says, do you realize we live in a sick world? And if you run away, you'll never see your family again. Do you need help packing? <laughs> now, do you think I would have let her out that door? Absolutely not over, absolutely not over my body. I was not going to grant that wish. Why? Because it wasn't logical, wasn't reasonable, wasn't wise. It was emotional. So sometimes we get so mad at God because he's not answering our prayer, a specific prayer. It makes perfect sense for us. And our Heavenly Father loves you and I enough to know. It's like, I'm not answering that. I love you too much to let you get your way. Second thing we learn about God is God graciously provides for our needs. Our needs. In verse 6 and 8, God provided food, like warm bread, a jug of water rest for his upset, delusional prophet. God didn't show up under the broom tree and he's like, get back. God was just being gracious in providing his needs. Verse 18, God provided encouragement. You're not the only one. I know it feels like that, Elijah. There's 7,000 who have not bent the knee and kissed Baal. God also provided him support. Now go back and there's a, a, a prophet named Elisha that's gonna come alongside of you and eventually take your place. Then he provided, God provided a gentle rebuke. Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Another thing we learn about God is God rarely moves in big waves. 
he often moves in quiet ways. Was God in the wind? No. Was God in the earthquake? No. Was God in the fire? No. All those are impressive. God was in a whisper. If you're not hearing from God, he could be talking to you, but you have so many distractions going on, you can't hear him. And you're wanting, I want the big. God goes, I want you to listen to me. You can't hear me because you're always on your phone. Right? You always got your music. You always got your headphones. You want to hear from God, put everything away. Go to God. God, I need to hear from you. Time and time again, he will answer that. Because now you're in a position to hear how he often moves in quiet little ways. Last thing we learn about God here is God isn't intimidated with our frank and honest comments. I love this. You know, Elijah, I've had enough. Peace out. Take me out. God was in heaven going, oh, no. What am I going to do? Should I send lightning down and give him a perm? No. I love the fact that David, in his frustration with God, would cry out to God, God, why are the wicked prospering? Those who are righteous are struggling. Or God, why won't you answer me? Similar prayer that I had last week. Why, God, why did you have the Kansas City Chiefs win? <clears throat> Crying out to God. Okay, I, I just did that part of therapy, okay. So, all right. All right. I remember a time, just, just going to be honest with you. I remember a time here when I was gearing up for a message and it was going to be salvation and and I was, I was praying that many people were trusting Christ and invited a bunch of people and went to the old auditorium and, and, and the room was packed and I just poured that message out, you know, and gave a call to salvation. Crickets. I remember going down to my office fuming at God. And I just, and I get into my, my Tahoe at the time, and on my way from church to my home, I prayed <laughs> with very strong words. I was near the area of the Silverdale Trails, and I out loud, I'm, I'm praying out loud, I was just passionately so upset at God. And I said this, you need, that's why you need to pray for me. I said this, God, I think I want more people in Kitsap County to get saved than you do. And then I thought to myself, you're an idiot. Then as I went over this in my notes, the Holy Spirit just said, I said that to you. What an idiot. God didn't strike me with lightning. Think, see, God knows. God would rather hear our frustration than for us to be silent. He wants that communication. And God knows when we're so frustrated, when we're so discouraged, when we're so hurt, when we're so confused, when God doesn't make sense, he understands, my child, I know you're hurting. 
You're frustrated. You're disillusioned. You're, you're discouraged. It's okay. He is big enough for us to be raw and honest with our Heavenly Father. God tenderly loves us when we go off course. He doesn't leave us there. He, he brings things to us to try to get us back on course. But there's times we're just spinning with emotion and God's just patiently waiting for us. Seeing all the energy, all the lost sleep, all the anxiety, God goes, it's okay. Come on back. And God tenderly asked Elijah a question. What are you doing here? But I, God, I came to you. I came to the mountain of God. It's God saying, but I didn't call you here. Elijah, go back the way you came. Go back trusting me again. Go back obeying me again. And in the very three, first three words of verse 19, it says, so Elijah went. And God blessed him with his ministry and his influence. God knows where you are. That was last week. God knows where, where you are in a different place that you have come to God because you are trying to control your life. And you're, you're coming to God telling him how he's, he's doing it all wrong. And you need to set him straight. And he's saying, what are you doing here? Go back to trusting me. Go back back obeying me even when it doesn't make sense because that's how I lead you and that's how I bless you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for being such a tender God and that you love your children even when we wander off course a lot of times because of situations and emotions and discouragement. And God, thank you that you put in your word a real person who loves you, who was serving you, but was scared. He was tired. He was emotionally spent and he felt lonely. And God, you just loved him through that. You provided for him. You encouraged him and you gently rebuked him because you care about him. Lord, you do that for us. Lord, I don't know who needed to hear from you today, whether they're in the room right now or watching it online, but you know exactly where they are and that they are off course and you want them to trust you and obey you again so that you can continue leading them the way you want them to go. Encourage them. Show them that, how much you love them. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody says the Bible's not relevant, they haven't read it. They haven't read it. See, God know that, knows that you were going to be here today, and some of you needed to hear that, not from some, some guy up here, but from God.